Pacifica Radio in San Francisco. This is Flashpoints. I'm Dennis Bernstein. Today on the show, Haiti hit by a massive earthquake, over 1,400 people dead, thousands more wounded, and a tropical storm on the way. Also, the Taliban takes operational control of Afghanistan border to border, every major city around the country. All this coming up straight ahead on Flashpoints. Stay tuned. And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. We broadcast every weekday from 5 to 6 from the San Francisco Bay Area over the Pacifica Radio Waves. And we are happy to have you along today. We start off with the tragedy. Another major earthquake hits Haiti. Uh, There was never a recovery from the first earthquake back in 10. So this is troubling. We're going to be talking about that with uh, somebody who was uh, on the ground for the first earthquake. Uh, and uh, we're also going to be joined by our um, special correspondent, uh, senior producer and special correspondent for Haiti, Kevin Pina. Uh, we are happy uh, to welcome back to these airwaves, Walter Riley. Walter is a human rights activist. He's a cutting-edge attorney fighting for the people. He was there in 2010 on the first round of uh, the earthquake. And uh, Walter, we're happy to have you back. These are very terrible times, though, in Haiti. Welcome. Yes, yes. It's terrible times in Haiti. Too bad we have to be here talking about it, but here we are. But we don't yes. we don't have any choice. And uh, welcome, uh, Kevin Pino, our senior producer, expert on Haiti. Welcome back to Flashpoints. Maybe you want to start. Uh, let me start with you, Kevin. With why don't you give us your best understanding of what the situation looks like on the ground? I know you're not there, but you have incredible connections. So, uh, give us a sense of what it looks like. Well, I've been uh, on the phone the last couple of days with survivors, people who are in the south. It's called the suit of uh, the suit of Haiti, um, hearing just horrific stories uh, and wonderful stories, horrific stories in that really there was no there could be no response by the government. There could be no response by the local governments because of 10 years of corruption in that country. And that's just a fact. It's not not meant to politicize this at all, but that's just a fact. Uh, but what was wonderful was how people banded together uh, in the minutes and hours after this quake and have still continued to dig through the rubble with what equipment that they had, oftentimes just with their bare hands, trying to help one another, organizing, self-organizing these immediate brigades uh, com- of communities in places like Okai and in Jeremy especially. But remember that this is very different from the 2010 earthquake. That was sort of centered around the capital. Uh, you know, a lot of aid could be brought in through the port of Port-au-Prince. Here in the south, it's spread out. It's 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 as far, you know, uh, to the west as 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 Mont Saint Nicolas and communities like Beaumont, uh, which is a coffee growing community in the mountainous area uh, uh, in the south there, and that community's been completely wiped off the map. Uh, a little bit to the east to uh, Pestel, uh, which also is another community that was wiped off the map pretty much. 
Uh, and then, of course, the two larger cities, Okai and Jiemi in the region, um, where probably there is the greatest death toll because of the construction and uh, the larger buildings and more concentrated population. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's astounding also that we see many of the same players who, you know, $5 billion in earthquake relief that went poof. And we've seen 10 years, you know, how long has it been? It's been 11 years later. Uh, nothing to show for it. You know, organizations such as the Red Cross raising $500 million and it being unaccounted for. I could go on and on. Churches raising money to buy land when they said that they were trying to raise money in order to to help earthquake victims. Um, So we just have to also make sure that as this response unfolds, that we don't let them pull the wool over our eyes again. That we work with credible organizations that will help to get money, that will help to get resources to those people who need it most. Now, the big problem, of course, is without people are sleeping in the dirt. I, I've spoke with several friends uh, and, and family down there who are literally sleeping, you know, under the stars, and it's getting cold. It's going to rain uh, soon. It's you know, it's it's the wet season there. Uh, so people are out in the elements. There's lack of food. There's lack of water. There's no tents. There's no shelter. So there are immediate pressing needs beyond, of course, the the, 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 the medical needs. You know, there are medical teams we understand that are on the ground. Uh, there are medical supplies that are being flown in. There are two airfields, of course, one that the Antoine Simone airfield that serves um, uh, Okai, uh, Lekai, but also there's an airfield in Jeremy as well. We do understand that there are flights that are coming in with medical teams, with medicines, with supplies. But of course, the need is so great. There's still so much more to be done. And, you know, this next week, this, these next hours, the next day and this next week are just critical, Dennis. And I, I was concerned. I think uh, the United States says they're sending in a crack team of, uh, what did they say, 40 or 50 people to help out. I'm not sure what 40 or 50 people will be able to do, but it's, it's just sort of like a, a throwaway. Now, it feels I, I, that I, way. US, the U.S. government has done enough already. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Walter. I go on, Walter. That 40 or 50 people, that number, is going to be directing U.S policy and making it clear who to support and who not to support. They want to ensure that their friends get organized and survive this whole thing because as it is with any crisis of this kind and what we know from 2010 is that the U.S. State Department's approach with their allies in Canada and France and all the other internationals was to ensure that there was no popular um, movement that uh, was going to move and, and, and organize folks. And that was what they were doing, starving people, keeping medicine from people, keeping it at the airport. So it'll be interesting to see to what extent things get uh, get distributed now from what, from what I'm reading. And I'm interested because Kevin has all these ties on the ground. And uh, we would uh, hopefully find out whether anything is leaving the airport or who, is, who it's going to. We know it hasn't been going to the proper movement uh, groups that can, that can organize people and get things done. The people that... Uh, like Ray Adele that Kevin has been working with for 20 plus years, whether or not she's, uh, who has the ability to distribute um, resources on the ground to help people. And, you know, she's been able to do that and get resources because of uh, organizations like the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund. Those of us here, particularly the Bay Area, has been so helpful in responding to get resources there. But 
the, the crying shame is that the uh, international community has not responded to the needs of it uh, and make sure that uh, uh, people are in the, in the uh, grassroots, the, the communities around there that, that suffer the most, uh, get the resources and get the goods, get the, uh, the shelter that they need, the water that they need, the food that they need, and the medicine hasn't been distributed. So let's see what you know, happens. Well- you know, Walter, I mean, when it comes to Haiti, the the racism becomes so clear. When you see the commentators, how they move between Afghanistan and Haiti, Haiti where the dying is ongoing, the politics are, uh, the failed politics are clear, but you have all these liberal, you know, like the, what is it, the MSDNC or all these liberal networks, people, what they have for Haiti is all, all we could say is our hearts go out to the people of Haiti. Okay, let's move on to the next subject. And they, and they don't even have a clue where, who, what Haiti is, what's been going on. It, the racism there is extraordinary. They fail to find out uh, whether they know anything or not given that their training and uh, their ability to read and understand what goes on in the world. I suspect they know more than they, than they tell us, but uh, they, they don't try to find out what's happening on the ground in Haiti because, yes, of the racism and the uh, support for the exporters at this point. Um, they can't even have a, a, a decent discussion about what happened with the assassination of the president because all they can do is focus on sensationalism and not talk about the politics of it what's going on and right. why that happened uh, uh, and, and Haiti and the, you know as in, uh, as in I discussing the politics of what happened in Afghanistan the mistakes yes but not that the fact that the U.S. built this force that now has taken over in order to fight the Soviets and that women were actually in Afghanistan uh, having some uh, uh, relief from the overlords that the U.S. Had came in and supported uh, but that's that's uh, that's another story <laughs> in Haiti, they do the same thing. They support the exporters. They, they you know, and they are right now um, helping folks to stay in power who are going to take advantage of this uh, of, of this earthquake to enrich themselves. And and that's the crime. You know, Walter. It seems that the United States government would feel safer putting weapons as it does indirectly in the hands of Taliban than uh, in the hands of Lavalas. <laughs> Uh, the people's movement in Haiti. Uh, it's sort of frightening to think about that. Listening to flashpoints on Pacifica Radio, uh, we are joined by Walter Riley. He's a human rights activist. He has done a lot with Haiti. Uh, he was there in 210 dealing with the earthquake then. And of course, with us also is uh, our senior producer, Kevin Pena, who spent a good chunk of his life reporting on uh, Haiti. So what else do you think we should know at this point, Kevin? What are you finding out? What are you hearing on the ground? Well, you know, Walter's right. Uh, the, the, the airfields that I had mentioned earlier have been largely controlled by the local, uh, you know, mandarins of the ruling party. And many of them are fundraising, have created their own nonprofits um, and are using them to bring in goods and, and doctors and, and supplies and then using them as photo ops to raise more money to put in their pockets. So... You know, it's just I can't emphasize enough how much the U.S. foreign policy, first of all, has let down the Haitian people. Um, You know, institutions have never recovered from the 2004 coup. 
That's largely why we see ourselves here uh, in, the, in, the, in the inability of, 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 of a government to respond to its own people because it was really that policy that ushered in this last decade of rule by the so-called PHTK party in Haiti. But also the charities have let Haiti down. Uh, they let them down in 2010. Uh, we can't allow them to let Haiti down again. The NGOs and non-governmental organizations have let Haiti down time and time again. And so the average Haitian is just very untrust. They, they just do not trust um, American institutions with, with, you know, on any side. And they don't trust the United Nations. They don't trust the international community. Uh, and so, you know, is it any wonder that, you know, when there's a huge disaster like this, um, you know, they're weak institutions. There's no there there, if you if you will, to really that the Haitian people can really rely on. They have to rely upon themselves. And, of course, those people of goodwill and solidarity who share a love for their freedom and for their island and for their fight and their resistance, uh, who, who work with them uh, to give them the resources to support them. And, and so it's extremely important, you know, I, I, I always say, and I'll say it again, that the greatest act of solidarity is to be conscious of who you work with. And I would say that people need to be vigilant again when it comes to helping Haiti to rebuild and who you work with uh, is, is, is critical. And of course, we can absolutely. emphasize, go on, Walter, you want to jump in? I'm just, absolutely, that's the critical thing about it. Uh, of course, Haiti Emergency Relief Fund, I keep mentioning that because we play a vital role in helping to maintain the popular movement and to help keep people alive and to help keep people out there right now um, being able to rescue themselves and, 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 and others. But um, it, the important aspect of who to work with is that this is, an, this is a time that we know historically that people can begin to form their combinations and, and, and make, begin to make change in their communities. And what happened in 2010 and the earthquake and, uh, I mean, the, uh, the, the uh, hurricanes before 2010 and the hurricane came since then has been there's an attempt, I mean, an effective, effective uh, international community that suppressed the response, that suppressed the people in their efforts to, uh, to, to uh, build for themselves. And right now, um, given the, uh, the uh, world knows that the crisis in government with the oligarchy there, that uh, there is tremendous fear that the people are going to be organized and and what we have to watch out for and, and, and expose to the extent we have any resources to expose is that they are going to and they are at this point trying to keep the people from, from, from saving themselves, keep the people from building their own political power, building their own community power, building a sense of, of, of their abilities to be self-reliant. And that's going to exist anyway. But, but the attacks on the people who don't have the heavy equipment that can remove the boulders out of off the piles of, of uh, rubble that is enclosing people or the ability to protect themselves from the water. There have been people, I understand, on the, in the South that have drowned because they, there was uh, not, not a tsunami, but a but, uh, 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 high tide that came in after the water receded after right. the earthquake and came back. Uh, and uh, we we're not getting anything for those communities where people are organizing in the same way that uh, we didn't we, we didn't see protection from the folks who were being attacked by the brutal um, representatives of the uh, of the government and, and other members of the oligarchy when they went in and, and, and massacred people 
and we'll see we'll see that still to happen we'll see that i mean predict that that's going to happen because people begin to uh, see themselves in destitute situations and begin to respond uh, uh appropriately um, but they have uh, the have to fight the awesome power of uh, of the major military power in the world at this point and they've done it before but but right now the resources that they have are only going to come from the international grassroots around the world the international community that is going to support you know fighting for democracy and understanding that for the for the uh for the popular movement and we see it in Afghanistan. And, be, and before we get out of here, we're going to give you a chance. We're going to give you a chance, Walter, to talk also about the fundraising. You know, uh, what people, what you might recommend in that uh, regard. But I, before we get into that important side of the conversation, I want to just talk uh, with both of you a little bit more. You both talked about the the what happened for instance in 2010 for, at that time we heard a lot about the great work of Sean Penn and the Clintons would have been deeply engaged in helping the Haitian people but please take a moment and talk about how these names that I mentioned created great scams and great suffering. I want people to know a little bit more about that so they understand why, you know, they should be careful in terms of their outreach to supporting people who really need the support. Kevin. Kevin, you want to start? Sure. Um, well, you know, again, every stripe of grift and grifters took advantage of Haiti in 2010. It was a fundraiser's dream uh, to be able to open a, have a charity at that time and to fundraise ostensibly to help people on the ground. You know, it's, uh, and, 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 you know, I, of course, Sean Penn was very close to Michel Martelly and to the ruling PHTK party, very corrupt party. You don't hear him talk much about that today. He's raised millions of dollars, even as recently as, you know, the year, year before last, before the pandemic struck. Uh, and folks still don't know how they're spending that on the ground. I would not be surprised to see him rear his head in some sort of macho gesture to try to get back into the game again. Uh, you know, it's part of his M.O. now, his modus operandi. Uh, the Clintons, of course, that was scandalous. The Clinton Foundation, again, you know, so much money raised that's gone unaccounted or certainly was not, did not benefit Haiti. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 it has been a boondoggle. And we're seeing a lot of that begin to, you know, happen again. Uh, you know, Save the Children is fundraising again. I, I remember when, when, you know, I'm still wondering how they spent the, the millions of dollars they raised after the 2010 earthquake. You know, the Red Cross is at it again. $500 million that, you know, we don't know what, what happened to all of it, but we certainly know that they spent like, you know, $30 million buying a, a parcel of land across from the airport with the money, ostensibly to take the re some other money that they raised from Haiti and to build a luxury hotel because they said that what Haiti really needed was jobs. And so they justified building, a, you know, the, just absurd, you know, things like that. But, you know, most importantly, it's it, the Haitian people have very little, nothing to show, nothing lasting from all of those billions upon billions of dollars that were raised in 2010. 
Uh, we, we just have to be vigilant. We just cannot allow it to happen again. We just can't. And what, what and, uh, happened go on, in 2010 was that, was that uh, Matali uh, was able to build his party uh, uh, and, and become the uh, source for a lot more horror in Haiti. But he was able to raise money for himself and, and, and uh, build uh, an organization that became a major oppressor. And, 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 and a violent perpetrator in Haiti uh, with the help of Sean Penn and State Department and the Clintons, you know. Um, one of the things that uh, we, we haven't talked about much in the past is that one of the organizations that the Clintons, that Bill Clinton started to use, he named it the Haiti Emergency Relief uh, after we were organized in 2004. In 2010, he named it Haiti Emergency Relief. A lot of people tried to use that, our organizational name. We had to stop some, but somebody like the Clintons, we didn't stop. So everybody needs to be aware that when they're giving money, when they're talking about what's happening, as Kevin has mentioned many times, that we have to pay attention to who it is and be clear that it's the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund right here and not some organization that's usurping our name. Um, well, how do people, say a little bit, how do people get in touch with you uh, to find out more information about what you're doing, how, how the fund works, and uh, how they might want to hook up? We can't ask for donations, but we certainly can tell them where you are, how to get in touch, uh, and yeah. how they might want to help. Maybe they want to put their bodies on the line. I'm sure uh, all kinds of support is uh, necessary at this time. Right. We are we are taking support to the Haiti Emergency Relief dot org. That's where we're taking support uh, from the communities. Uh, monies are donated um, uh, there, and we get that money to the ground in Haiti. Specific to organizers who are building infrastructure for political and and community response to this uh, earthquake and to what is going to come with the storms and what's going to come with the calamity of the uh, elections later on. Uh, what people are building is the ability to survive this this particular crisis, which is ongoing um, and connected to all the past crisis. So uh, we try and keep organizations going. We try and keep the women's group that are out there going. We try and keep the schools that we work with going in this period when they have a need for finances. Uh, we try and keep individuals who are heading up organizations going and, and safe. Uh, to protect themselves, to um, provide food for them for for their community, uh, water is going to be scarce at some point. Still hot season and contamination, um, and um, so we, we're we're doing that to help keep the medical clinics going. We spent uh, a, a lot of effort to keep the air, the uh, foundation, the Aristide Foundation for Democracy, going. We spent a lot of effort to keep the UNIFA, uh Hospital. Uh, that's training nurses, uh, medical professionals, doctors, and building a hospital. We try and do a lot to keep those things going, which are going to serve to build a civil society that can take Haiti away from this corrupt and 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 um, violent oligarchy that exists. HaitiEmergencyRelief.org is is where people give, and 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 that's that's who we are, total volunteer, and we get the money to the ground in Haiti. Kevin, why? I, I always ask this question, but I have to, and I, it's just mind-boggling. You I both can take a shot at it. Let me start with you, Kevin, though. Haiti, the poorest, maybe proudest country, certainly in this hemisphere. And, Haiti's, not, Haiti's uh, not poor, Dennis. Haiti's not poor. 
Haitians talk to made poor. Haitians said well, that's what I want you to poor. talk to. Talk yeah, to that I, because yeah. I don't get it. You know what? What's yeah. going on there? You know that this is this is a country that is ruled by a an elite, an oligarchy. Uh, you know, a few families uh, who control you know eighty to ninety percent of the popul you know of the of the economy of that country. Um, on the other hand, the PHTK government over the last decade has been selling Haiti's mineral riches for pennies on the dollar while making themselves wealthy. You know, that's wealth that belongs, according to the 1987 Haitian Constitution, you know, for the benefit of the entire people of Haiti. Haiti is a wealthy country. Haiti has tremendous uh, amounts of precious minerals, uh, of, 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 you know, everything from gold to uranium to iridium. Uh, you know, I've, I've watched the U.S. Marines come in with huge helicopters and flatten an entire mountain out in, uh, toward Capaïcien in the north of Haiti in order to grab all the iridium in the mountain. Uh, make, a, make, make a mountain into a plateau almost overnight. Um, so it's not that Haiti is poor. It's that its people are not benefiting from its wealth. It has a lot of wealth. Uh, under the ground, and of course, uh, its labor force, you know, is 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 still, uh, you know, uh, underpaid, and as such, you know, creates millions of dollars of profits, hundreds of millions of dollars of profits, you know, particularly in the apparel manufacturing uh, industry, you know, Guild and Activewear, Fruit of the Loom, they all take advantage of Haiti's labor force. Uh, you know, it's a wealth generating. Uh, 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 population. It's just they're not getting their share. It's not. Be, it's like most most elites under U.S. foreign policy are 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 trusted allies of the United States government, and in exchange for their loyalty, they are allowed to take the major profits of anything in their country at the expense of the majority of their own people. And Haiti is no different. But it's not that Haiti's poor. It's that the public have been made intentionally made poor by an elite that is tolerated, supported, you know, by the United States government. Let's face it. These guys are on K Street. You know, these guys have lobbyists on K Street to make sure that this gravy train keeps going. So the corruption of Haiti is part of the corruption of Washington. And some of this elite, hey, uh, Kevin, uh, you can probably talk to it more specifically, but... You know, they were made part of the oligarchy uh, with the United States uh, 1915 invasion. They became landowners from offshore. They came from, you know, and some of those names are like Middle Eastern uh, oligarchs that came to Haiti and given land by the U.S. that was taken from the Haitian people and became rich and very powerful because of that. And many of them still are, 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 are living in, in Florida or, or other places, but maintain that they're Haitian citizens when they don't go back beyond, you know, the, the 1915 invasion. That's the leadership in it's, those it's families. It was a U.S. policy. It was an attempt to to denigrate Haitian leadership by bringing in and allow by building an elite from whole cloth. Uh, from folks who came from the Middle East. You know, you've got the Bijos, the Haloons, the Akras, the Mervs. You know, the, uh, you know, uh, if, if Haloon sounds Haitian, well, <laughs> you know, Bijot, that's not, you know, these, these, these aren't French names. Remember, Haiti was a French colony for many years, and the majority of, uh, 
folks, you know, uh, proud of their independence and defeating the armies of Napoleon and the Spanish and the British to win their independence. Uh, you know, they, the, the, those names that go back to the revolution do not sound, as, as, as you point out, Walter, like the names of those large families that the U.S. started, that the U.S. encouraged to come to Haiti to build an elite that was closer to and allied with their interests because, quite frankly, they felt they could not trust Haitians. Op-ed, op-ed. Op-ed. There's another one. Absolutely. And All right. Ed. Listen, we're, we're just about out of time, so let's uh, go out this way, Walter. Again, if people uh, want to know more about how to be a part of uh, real contributions that might make it to the people, what, what's the best way to get in touch with you, with the, with the folks that you recommend? Yeah, uh, org. Uh, information through obviously to KPFA and to Haiti Information Project. These are the two or three areas for the entire world that pays attention, and certainly in the in the U.S. and the and uh, the and this hemisphere that we can rely upon to get out correct information. Uh, information Project um, has uh, all the ties on the ground in Haiti. Haiti Emergency Relief dot org is providing funding to make sure that that the struggle goes on and people survive and the news uh, uh, that we can get from the correct sources at KPFA and Pacifica. Um, we have to pay very close attention to that. Not, you know, it's, it's, it's not about um, uh, elevating ourselves, but it's absolutely necessary to elevate ourselves because we stand in, in, in the, the uh, um, chasms between the terrible uh, forces of uh, deceit and corruption and oppression. And we push back by maintaining these organizations. And people have to take it seriously. And I'm hoping, I mean, obviously many people do. And let's keep that going. Thank you, Attorney Walter Riley, longtime human rights activist, a hero of mine. Also joining us today is our senior producer, Kevin Pina, who has made uh, a study of Haiti and understanding the politics, uh, part of a big part of his life. Uh, always appreciate your knowledge, Kevin. And uh, both of you, of course, we have the open door policy. Anything comes up on this, please keep us posted on Flashpoints, Pacifica Radio, coming at you here from the Bay Area. We're going to take a short break, then we're going to turn our attention back to, yes, Afghanistan. Stay with us. Lord 
Listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio, your daily investigative news magazine. We turn our attention back to Afghanistan. We know the whole world uh, has been watching what has been going on there, and so have we. Uh, we are delighted to welcome back to this program Professor Stephen Zunis, who knows a great deal about the Middle East, who has been uh, sort of uh, writing and thinking about what's been going on in Afghanistan for uh, many years, and he had some things to say early on in uh, the U.S. Uh, in its new relationship with Afghanistan uh, that maybe we should have paid attention to earlier. Professor Zunis, welcome back to Flashpoints. I don't think you may have been surprised by the speed of the turnover, but I don't think you are surprised about the outcome. Uh, no, no, I'm, I'm not. Uh, the, the fact is, is that the uh, Taliban um, does not have the support of most Afghans when it comes to their um, reactionary, misogynist uh, theology and politics. Uh, but they were seen by uh, uh, many Afghans as the vanguard of popular resistance against what they saw as foreign invaders and a, um, a corrupt uh, puppet government. Uh, you know, they... Um, their experience in the United States and much of the rural areas uh, was uh, heavy bombing, uh, search and destroy operations, raids on villages, and the like, and the kind of things that you know builds its own uh, reaction. And the uh, Taliban were able to take advantage of this uh, long-standing Afghan tradition of um, resisting outsiders, uh, the same kind of force and energy uh, that uh, defeated the Romans, the Persians, the British. Uh, the Soviets, and, and, and now the uh, United States. So you say that uh, everybody was surprised about the speed of the turnover. Um, but the what's going on there now with the Taliban, um, you know, the process and the very creation of the Taliban grow out of U.S. support, for instance, that goes back to the so-called Mujahideen and their war uh, against the Soviets in Afghanistan. You want to sort of let's let's go back a little bit in history uh, and give some context so people understand more about Afghanistan and why the fate of the United States was determined long ago. Well, when the uh, uh, communists ended up uh, seizing power in Afghanistan, uh, they um, their reforms, though by uh, you know one could say are you were progressive, but um, pretty you know, heavy-handed, and uh, you know, created a kind of uh, of reaction among the conservative people in the rural areas. The um, the United States actually uh, supported it, especially when the Soviets. Uh, 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 move troops in to to back up their their uh, the communist government that was under an increasing uh, threat. Uh, the um, U.S. actually uh, of the six major Mujahideen groups that were fighting uh, the Soviets and their Afghan communist allies, 
uh, close to 80% of USA went to a Hekmakyarza faction, that is, the Hezbi Islami, which was the most extremist, the most hardcore Islamists of the, of the uh, other Mujahideen groups, on, on the grounds that the... Um, that you know, the goal of the United States wasn't to you know liberate Afghanistan from uh, uh, from Soviet occupation per se, but to basically bleed the Soviets dry, to drag them into this uh, uh, long bloody counterinsurgency war. And they figured the hardliners would be less likely to uh, have a negotiated settlement. Meanwhile, in the uh, refugee camps, uh, the U.S. worked with the Saudis in uh, pushing this uh, very decidedly uh, reactionary and militaristic uh, Islamic education uh, system, also on the grounds that they could create a generation of people who would uh, fight communism. Well, these students um, formed a group which called themselves the Taliban. In fact, Taliban is the Pushtun word for students. <laughs> and, uh, and, they, and in the chaos of following the uh, Soviet withdrawal and collapse of the communist government, they are able to sweep in very quickly, as, they, as they've done the, these past uh, couple weeks, and end up taking over uh, much of the uh, much of the country. You ascribe to the uh, Juan Cole notion that uh, U.S. Uh, policy towards Afghanistan was essentially a Ponzi scheme. You want to explain yeah, that yeah, in a, in a sense, and, and uh, what that would mean? Well, you know, basically, that the, the it was uh, uh, held up by this kind of um, fiction that uh, the the Afghan government, which we had in installed, uh, you know, was like a normal, you know, functioning uh, government that could um, survive on its own. In reality, it could only survive uh, through the financial and, and military support uh, of uh, outside uh, uh, powers. That it was not a government that people were willing to uh, fight and, and die for. This was an armed forces that, uh, you know, where, where they... Uh, uh, you know, commanders would, would would basically steal the soldiers' uh, you know, uh, salaries and sell off their you know much of their supplies of food and weapons. Um, that um, you know where you know corruption was was so rampant. I mean, if you go to Kabul, you see these palatial um, mansions of. Uh, various government officials from uh, ripped off uh, aid uh, opium basically the US made alliance uh, hobbled together an alliance of these um, uh, ethnic uh, militia uh, these uh, warlords these uh, opium magnates you know anybody who opposed the Taliban even if they themselves were uh, misogynist war criminals you know like like our, our guy Dostrom up in the northern part of the country and and you know these it was it was it was all artificial and and I mean, the thing is, a lot of people don't realize is that the Afghan army, at least on paper, had four times as many troops as the Taliban. They had an air force. They had heavy equipment. They had training by the most powerful armed forces in the world. They had over, uh, you know, uh, they had over um, $100 billion of, of, of U.S. aid over, over the years. And, you know, the Taliban had none of that. They didn't have, they didn't have outside support. They didn't have heavy equipment. They didn't have an air force. Why, why, in other words, what we've seen in the past couple of weeks is not a military victory, not one that remain, keeping 2,500 troops in the country would have made much of a difference in. It was a political collapse. 
That would have happened sooner or later. And, and Biden basically, you know, again, like I said, it was like a Ponzi scheme, and, and Biden had the courage to call it out. Now, those of you who, who, who are familiar with my work know that I'm not one to be very positive and favorable towards uh, Biden when it comes to foreign policy. I've been an, uh, a major critic of his on a whole number of levels. But I think in this particular case, though, yes, I think there are some things about the final weeks that they, they did botch pretty badly in terms of the uh, uh, not preparing for as rapid a collapse, the decision to withdraw in and of itself was, was a quite valid one. And I think he actually made a pretty good case in his speech to the American public this afternoon. Yeah, but uh, I, you would be the first, as you allude, you'd be the first to suggest uh, that he would not be your favorite anti-war candidate. Uh, given his track record for loving no, 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 war. No, 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 here's the irony. That here's a guy who supported the Iraq war, who who, who supported Israel's recent war uh, on, on Gaza, which has pushed a bloated military um, you know, uh, you know, a budget, you know, who has sent arms to all sorts of horrific dictators around the world. I mean, the, the, to, for people to say he's not militaristic enough, I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, he, he actually did the right thing for once, and then people are freaking out. <laughs> Now, let's do a little bit uh, in terms of the myth of uh, the, I guess it started with the Bush uh, presidency, this myth that we had to invade Afghanistan to go after the uh, 9-11 attackers. Wasn't that the excuse? Yes, and, and uh, you know, first of all, you know, there, 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 there's a fair amount of evidence suggests that um, we could have actually convinced the uh, Taliban to um, uh, turn over bin Laden if we were uh, willing to negotiate with them, which uh, the Bush administration um, clearly was not. But the fact the whole thing was framed in terms of a war on terror as opposed to, you know, a... Um, you know, police action, uh, you know, paramilitary action against a particular, um, you know, nasty uh, criminal who obviously was a, a mass murderer on an unprecedented scale. So, you know, personally, I, I, I did not object to the kind of operation uh, that um, Obama ordered that did uh, end up uh, taking out bin Laden um, several years ago. But to, to go to try to invade an entire country, set up a, a, a new government, try to build institutions, you know, on American lines with a, with a lot of cultural insensitivity and that kind of thing, you know, to make it a, a um, you know, the, 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 you know uh, t taking over a whole country and engaging in, in, in high-altitude bombing is really not the way to go after a, um, a network of uh, underground terrorist cells like, like, like al-Qaeda. And um, so the, the whole premise of the war in Afghanistan was, was, um, was highly debatable, but also just the way it, we, 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 pulled, we, we uh, ended up um, uh, pulling it off was just really... Uh, really shoddy from the very beginning. It's a classic a case of American hubris. And this is both among, you know, people like Bush, uh, Cheney, Rumsfeld, you know, the neoconservatives that had a clear imperialist agenda, but also among a lot of liberal supporters of the war. I mean, their, their motivation may have been uh, sincere, misguided liberal internationalism, uh, but they also, I, I think, um, you know, were, were, were you know, were, were um, totally uh, uh, unaware and insensitive of how this kind of heavy-handed military presence, um, you know, uh, might be uh, uh, might be received by the Afghans them themselves. I mean, I I, I I teach at the University of San Francisco, and we have a fair amount of uh, a number of Afghan students, including from the large Afghan American community in, in, in Fremont and other parts of the uh, Bay Area. 
And uh, most, most of the Afghans I know, and these include some people from prominent uh, Afghan political families, they've all said that they, they, they'd welcome a, a, an active American role, but they kept saying, you know, it should have been 10% military and 90% building gra- uh, grassroots uh, democratic institutions, helping to build civil society, helping, to, um, uh, helping uh, with sustainable you know, economic development. Instead, it was 90% military, and the 10% of it that was on a more developmental side was kind of these, these top-down projects of dubious uh, merit uh, through corrupt elites. And, uh, and, and that's the thing, that, that, that the... the um, and, and, and again, when, when we're dealing with a, a group as nasty as, as the Taliban, you can't rule out some, you know, some military component, uh, perhaps. But the fact that it was, we, we basically put the full force of our, 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 our military uh, in a country that had already had, had the hell bombed out of it by the Soviets, <laughs> you know, and, and to think that, that there's just, there's just this kind of you know, heavy-handed military force is a way to deal with a society as complex as, as as Afghanistan, I mean, it, it, it was it was it was really doomed from the failure. I mean, doomed doomed. doomed, doomed from the, from do the I remember? Am I remembering correctly? In the interview that Robert Fisk did with Osama bin Laden during the battle uh, between the you know the Mujahideen running the Russia uh, the Soviets out, what didn't bin Laden say? You, Essentially, I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, y'all don't think that once we're done with these folks, uh, these Soviets, we're not going to turn our guns to the West and deal with you all. Yeah, you know, I, 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 don't, there... I, I don't remember a specific quote around that, but there's no question that that was 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 um, was, was, was was part of it. That uh, the um, uh, the and, 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 and indeed it was just part of, uh, of of Bin Laden's own. Um, Hubris that he felt that you know he he had helped bring down one superpower that somehow he could uh, you know uh, bring down another, <laughs> but that uh, you know the fact that you know the the um, United States um, you know would uh, take this attitude that supporting these uh, Islamist extremists uh, because they were good anti-communist wouldn't come back to to haunt us in in, in the future. I mean, it, 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 there, you know, some some people saw this coming. I mean, ironically, it was the uh, libertarian-oriented Cato Institute that provided some of the very early important critiques of uh, U.S. arming the Mujahideen, because unlike the Reagan doctrine's policy of supporting uh, UNITA in uh, Angola or the Contras in Nicaragua, supporting the Mujahideen in Afghanistan had pretty broad bipartisan support. Um, but um, you know, those you know, of a more, more libertarian and left persuasion, as well as those who simply knew about Afghan history, um, you know, had serious questions about this, uh, this uh, uh, policy of supporting uh, the, uh, these, these hardcore Islamists uh, from, from the beginning, because they, they indeed uh, saw the, the potential threat down the uh, road uh, to uh, U.S. interests as well. And support them, they did. If I'm remembering correctly, they even, the CIA helped create a bank to fund the Mujahideen. I think it was, it used to be referred to as the Bank of uh, uh, Criminals and uh, something or other, BCCI. The Emirati based bank, notorious money laundering. Money laundering, and the, the CIA even got U.S. SNLs that were going down. He was fil- they were filtering money uh, to the you know all kinds of schemes. They really did uh, 
make it possible uh, for this force to continue its work after they were done with the Soviets. It's an amazing story. Very much. I mean, the, the, the short-sightedness is just uh, uh, it, it, it's incredible. And, and again, I, the thing, thing about, about uh, you know, uh, you know um, one thing I'm, con- I'm concerned about is that um, you know, you know, Biden, you know, and, and again, I, I, I'm, I've been a huge uh, a critic of, of Biden's foreign policy stances from back when he was a uh, senator and as head of the Foreign Relations Committee, you know, helped push, push through the Iraq War uh, uh, resolution. But right, he was a collaborator, he, right? We should, with with he, George he, Bush, he, he, George Bush, go yeah. on. I'm sorry, yeah, but but but, but yeah, again, he 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 was he was practical enough to say, hey, look, you know, if you know. If, if I keep, and in fact, he even said so, you know, in, in the speech today. If I, you know, if I had done the alternative and kept U.S. troops there for another year, another five years, or another twenty years, and withdrew them, then it would have the same same result. I mean, is it worth sacrificing American lives and treasury, you know, for a uh, a government that um, that uh, is, is is so uh, corrupt that uh, people aren't willing to fight for it and uh, and the and and it, it, it collapses in, in in a less than a, a two week uh, two week period to a, to a much to a much weaker armed force. We are speaking with Professor Stephen Zunas. Uh, we're talking about Afghanistan, and uh, I'm sure you know by now that the Taliban is in operational control of uh, just about all of the country. Uh, there is a scene uh, happening uh, at the airport, has been happening, it's reminiscent of uh, uh, Vietnam and the last days of the United States in Saigon. It's extraordinary uh, to watch that. Uh, happen uh, to see how fast and we're all surprised how fast that's happening uh, but clearly we're so if you were an advisor to Biden now you sort of think maybe he made the right decision here um, if you were an advisor to him now what could he do that might make U.S. policy toward the Middle East more sane? Because right now it's sort of insane and dangerous. Yes, well, I mean, I, I think that uh, many of the policies the uh, Biden administration is pursuing are the very policies that led rise to the extreme anti-Americanism that you've seen uh, uh, by uh, these um, um, Islamist uh, groups and, and, and others that uh, the, the U.S. is continuing uh, to support um, uh, dictatorial regimes and uh, occupation armies. We are by far the number one arms supplier uh, to the um, uh, to the region. Uh, you know, they, we keep saying that all these extremists, you know, come out and are attacking us because they hate our freedoms, they hate our democracy. But if it was really about opposing democracy and freedom. Why aren't they attacking Sweden or any number of other democracies? You know, they go after the United States <laughs> because they don't see our freedom and democracy at work. They see Made in USA on tear gas canisters and and, and bomb casings uh, that are are, are killing uh, killing their people and the um, um, and you know as as, uh, as uh, John F. Kennedy famously said uh, those who make peace, peaceful evolution impossible make violent revolution inevitable and if we continue to support occupation armies and dictatorial regimes that make it impossible for people to uh, uh, create change you know through uh, democratic means it 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 it, it, it uh, um, you know, paves the way uh, for those with uh, violent and extremist uh, ideologies. 
and so again, is there a sane policy that you can imagine? start with uh, putting human rights uh, conditions on um, on U.S. arms transfers. This is something that is supported by a solid majority uh, of, of Americans, um, uh, and, uh, and, and including you know <laughs> close to eighty percent of, uh, of registered Democrats. But unfortunately, uh, a, a huge bipartisan majority in Congress uh, uh, supports uh, continued. Uh, uh, unconditional uh, military aid to uh, Israel, Egypt, and, and all sorts of other um, countries that uh, have used uh, U.S. weapons and and in in violation of, of, of human rights. I would also push uh, the the idea of uh, of um, you know, that, that that you know economic aid should be uh, much more bottom up, grassroots oriented. It shouldn't be about just getting free trade for American corporations uh, to uh, to profit. Uh, at the expense of uh, of the of the development needs of these uh, of, of of these countries, I would talk a bit with other arms suppliers to get a, an arms moratorium in the region. I'd also push for a nuclear free zone for the entire Middle East instead of singling out Iran. Uh, that we need uh, to also address uh, issues like uh, Israel's um, you know, nuclear uh, 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 weapons and and. Uh, and you know, not to mention, of course, uh, India and Pakistan. All three countries actually have been uh, are violating UN Security Council resolutions regarding their nuclear programs, uh, our non-signatories of the Non-Proliferation Treaty, and yet the U.S. insists on singling out Iran, uh, which uh, doesn't have a, a nuclear weapons program, uh, but you know has a civilian nuclear program. We we're afraid that it might someday go in a military direction. Uh, but you know, this is this idea that. Um, that uh, that uh, you know the United States can unilaterally decide which countries can have what kind of weapons or for that matter what kind of um, of, uh, of um, energy generation. Uh, you know, this, it, this kind of arrogance uh, is simply uh, not working. And again, it creates a, a reaction and makes it difficult for the very legitimate, legitimately concerns about um, you know, arms control and, and non-proliferation. Similarly, with human rights. I mean, we're right to be concerned about. Human rights abuses and and uh, uh, Iran and and, uh, and and you know the war crimes committed by the uh, Assad regime, and yet uh, we we uh, keep backing uh, regimes like Saudi Arabia, uh, Bahrain, UAE, Egypt, others that uh, are engaging in horrific. Um, uh, human rights abuses, and we have defended Saudi and Israeli uh, war crimes and the uh, and the wars on um, uh, Gaza and on on Yemen. So this kind of um, uh, you know, a double standard and hypocrisy is, is something that would really, really have to end if we're going to have any credibility Doug, in in, uh, in the region. Uh, Orwellian. Uh, I always think of um, Orwellian when I hear Israel threaten to nuke Iran if they think about creating nukes. Right. Um, <laughs> exactly. I, I I have to. Ha we we know that Israel is a nuclear renegade. Everybody knows. Um, how did Israel get its nuclear weapons? Well, I mean, it was largely through um, uh, you know technology, you know, uh, uh, both uh, from uh, you know technology from um, uh, you know uh, France and other uh, Western uh, European uh, countries. Uh, but you know, the main reason they've been able to get away with it is that the um, 
uh, United States has blocked the enforcement of UN Security Council Resolution 487, which calls on Israel to put its nuclear facilities under the trusteeship of the International Atomic Energy Agency. It's because the uh, United States continues to provide uh, un- unconditional military aid and other strategic cooperation that would be banned under U.S. law if we acknowledge Israel has nuclear weapons. So both uh, Republican and Democratic administrations have continued to uh, de- publicly deny you know, the, the well-known fact that Israel does have a, um, a, 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 a nuclear arsenal. And again, just this, you know, not only is this dangerous because it, it, it allows uh, Israel to continue uh, with its uh, nuclear program, but again, it gives us zero credibility in terms of, um, you know, trying to, uh, you know, stop potential uh, threats of, uh, of nuclear proliferation elsewhere. I've heard the the concept that comparison kills, but uh, I'm wondering, you think... Um who do you think is going to get treated worse? The 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 Af- the uh, Afghanistan population by the Taliban or the Gazans by the uh, Israeli state? <laughs> I mean, Maybe, it's hard to compare. I mean, the the, the um, Israel doesn't. No, you know, you have, know what um, I mean. No, no one ever yeah, thinks yeah, yeah, about. No, no, I, mean, I mean, the fact is, is that there there are. Uh, I mean, the the. the uh, the siege that Israel has uh, on, on Gaza has had a, a very real humanitarian impact, uh, not, and of course the bombing, you know, you know, you know the killing, uh, the, the, the killing of uh, hundreds of civilians uh, every few years, and the, these these uh, onslaughts. And of course, the irony of that's only strengthened the control of Hamas, which itself is a pretty reactionary Islamist group, but not as bad as the Taliban, but uh, you know, pretty pretty hardcore. Um, and you know, the, the uh, that any 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 uh, pretense that the um, um, you know, that the United States uh, has a policy that is at all you know, based on on human rights. I mean, at least in Trump, he was honest. He didn't give a damn about human rights. But you know, <laughs> if, if you if you if you follow, you know, uh, thank Secretary God State for Blinken, small favors. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Secretary of <laughs> State Blinken's uh, uh, tweets and a lot of statements like Biden, they always talk about human rights, and you know, they they, they point out the you know, human rights abuses, you know, in, in, in places, you know, like uh, Burma and Syria and a number of other places, and Belarus, you know, I mean, which are indeed, you know, valid concerns. But, my God, the United States is the world's number one supporter of, of, uh, of dictatorial regimes and occupation I'm arms. Have I mean, how can they even I'm going to have to leave it right there, <laughs> Professor. <laughs> That's the point. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate you. And uh, thanks, everybody. You're listening to Flashpoints. We're gone.